0: Welcome to the March episode of O&P Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Emma Newland, a board-eligible orthotist and current prosthetics resident in the Portland metro area. With me today is Steve Fletcher, Director of Professional Credentialing for the American Board for Certification in Orthotics, Prosthetics, and Pedorthics. Steve is a certified prosthetist orthotist, who directs ABC's certification programs. He practiced for over 30 years in many different patient care settings and has been on staff with ABC for more than 14 years. Before we get started, we would like to thank our episode sponsor, AutoVoc. Welcome to the podcast, Steve.
1: Thanks, Emma. I'm really excited to be here to talk about this topic.
0: I'm excited to have you join me today to discuss the ever important topic of preparing for the ETC certification exams. As students and residents, we prepare for the exam indirectly and directly each day. We also hear about what to expect and how to best prepare for the exams. I'm excited to have this time with you today to hear directly from EBC.
1: Yeah, I I was excited that this is a topic that the Academy wanted to to have as one of their podcasts. Um, This is something that I live and breathe every day. And you're obviously as a current resident and as a recent student, sort of top of mind that, that you're going to run into some exams in a short time. You know, one thing, Emma, that I think is important for folks to know is sort of what are the types of exams that I'm going to run into and what are they designed to do? How do I prepare for them? And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to just take a minute to talk about the, the three basic types of exams that all individuals who want to become a certified orthodist or process have to run into. What do you think?
0: Yeah, sounds great. What they have in common, what's different about them, when you take each one.
1: Yeah. Well, the easiest one in some regards is the first one that most people run into, and that's what we call combined discipline multiple choice exam. And that's a big exam that's all multiple choice that people are eligible to take as soon as they graduate from their master's degree program in orthotics and prosthetics. You know this is a little different than it was in the past because it used to be you had to complete your residency before you could take the written multiple choice exams but back in 2019 this newly combined discipline exam came into being and the eligibility criteria changed so we really encourage folks as much as we can to take that exam that's both orthotics and prosthetics in the multiple choice format as soon as they can after they graduate and the reason we say that, Emma, is that that exam is really designed more to test the knowledge that individuals obtained in their program and their educational program. It is uh, specifically was changed when we went to this new combined exam to be an exam that tests what we call recall knowledge. You know, information about diagnoses and um, different pathologies, really stuff that you would have learned pretty firsthand in school. And the information that you would learn in a residency is really tested in a different exam. So that's what that first exam is. And ABC thinks it's a positive change that candidates now are required to take one exam that covers both orthotics and prosthetics instead of taking two separate exams. So it's been a real positive change from our perspective.
0: That makes sense because more people are tending to get certified in both disciplines too, right?
1: That is correct. We actually look at those numbers over time. And in recent times, the vast majority of graduates of the ONP programs over the course of time become a CPO rather than become just a CO or a CP and then stop there. There's a small, small number of people who do that. But like I said, the vast majority, really north of 90%, become a CPO. So that is really the future for sure. Um, So if you want, Emma, I can just jump into the other types of exams and sort of what those are about.
0: Yeah. After the written test, what test do we take next?
1: Well, typically people take it in a certain order. I can tell you that you can take it in any order, but it's the way that we see most people do is once you've completed your residency and let's just pick orthotics as an example, especially since you've already finished your orthotics residency, right?
0: Yep. That's right.
1: If you finished your orthotic residency, then you are eligible to take what we call written simulation exam and the clinical patient management or CPM exam, which is the practical hands-on exam that is held in Tampa, Florida uh, three times a year. So you have to have finished your residency to be eligible to take those two exams. The reason that that's the way it is, is because those exams are much more designed to test Did you learn in your clinical training during your residency, different patient care skills and knowledges? And so, for example, the simulation exam is an exam that you, the candidates will will interact with different patient scenarios. We call them problems. And you start with a problem and you get introduced to a patient through the scenario. And then you work through each of those problems like you would if you saw a brand new patient in your clinic. And... What that exam is really designed specifically to is to test what we call the domains of practice. And so each of the sections of each problem really test the candidate's ability to understand what is patient evaluation and what's involved in that. In other words, Emma, what interview questions are appropriate given a certain situation and what physical assessments should be done to gather information? The next section of the problems is designed to test formulation of the treatment plan skills. And so now that you've collected information from the patient, what do you think would be the right intervention for that person? The next session is implementation of the treatment plan domain three. And that section tests all the specifics of of implementing that treatment plan. Now that you've said, I think this patient needs X. Now, what what are the steps needed to fulfill that treatment plan? And the fourth section is what is called continuation of the treatment plan, fourth and fifth sections, depending on the problem. You know, what happens when you've provided orthotic intervention and then they come back three weeks later and they're having an issue, what steps do you take? What questions do you ask to solve that problem? So, as I said at the beginning, it's really like you do with a new patient that comes to see you in your clinic. It's what some people would call an episode of care, patient evaluation all the way through the continuation of the treatment plan after they've received the service. So all of that to say your residency experience really should help prepare you for that. Now, Emma, I'll be honest with you. Are there issues in the simulation exam that you're going to need to pull from your education? Absolutely. You're going to have to know what certain diagnoses are. And I'll give you an example, Emma. Let's say the patient's diagnosis is Guillain-Barre. Well, You had to have learned of what Guillain-Barre is in school and what the clinical signs and symptoms are. So I don't know if you can see that kind of blends the knowledge you learned in school and then how you applied that knowledge in your residency. And that's what that simulation exam is really all about.
0: So it's really still just building off of the first exam and the whole base of knowledge that you've already gotten from school and just building the residency skills on top of that.
1: Exactly. That's exactly how I would put it. And that would lead me, if you want me to continue with what the third exam, which some people think is the scariest one, because it's the in-person practical one. It really isn't that scary, by the way, but it is an exam that you have to travel to Tampa, Florida, and we have a testing center, and that's the CPM exam. And that exam, I think even more pointedly tests how the residency experience was for each candidate, because... At the CPM practical exam, you're going to interact with patient models and in a sort of simulated way, you're going to do certain patient care activities and tasks, and you're going to be assessed on your skills. So it's a a little more of a psychomotor assessment because you're going to actually have to perform some tasks, but it also has a blend of just knowledge, you know, being able to repeat the knowledge that you learned, not only in school, but through your residency in particular. I would say that what we see is that people who believe they didn't have the most positive residency experience do struggle a little bit at that exam because I think you probably would agree with me, Emma, you know, part of the residency experience is not being able to just see those patients, but see multiple numbers of those patients, have multiple exposures, and that's where you really pick up a lot of knowledge because not every person's the same. So that's why the residency is, is so long and it gives the candidate a chance to see different things multiple times. And we think that repetition really builds the knowledge that you need when you come to take the CPM exam.
0: Oh, I agree with that completely, Steve. But when I see a patient for the first time, I learn a lot. But the second and third patient where I can apply those past cases, that's where I feel like I finally kind of hit my stride with different diagnoses or presentations.
1: I agree with you. And it's, you learn as you, you know, That's why they call it practice, I guess. Right, Emma? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm curious from your perspective, how you approach preparing to take the exams.
0: It took me a little while (laughs) to figure out how to get started between upper extremity, lower extremity, orthotics, prosthetics, spinal pathologies and gait. It feels like I was standing at the bottom of a really tall mountain and I wasn't sure what topic to start with or kind of where to go. I found for me what really helped, I've been kind of working on my own study guide of just kind of filling out everything. And it's not going to be finished by the time the tests start, because that sometimes I get too caught up in making a perfect study guide instead of studying effectively, where it's just time spent, but not effectively. What's helped me the most is that I found a, a bunch of different resources of practice tests and the first couple of times, I went through all 150 questions, and that was an overwhelming amount of time and energy. And by the time I went back to check my answers, nothing felt fresh. So I started doing it at 10 question chunks at a time. And then I would check my work at 10 questions and or any question I got wrong. I researched it and I figured out why I bought what I thought to get better understanding of the right answer. And then by the time I got to the end of the tests, I had a couple topics that like, oh, you need to review upper extremity orthotics instead of you need to review every single thing you ever learned in school. Just a way to kind of pare down the information that needed some deeper dives.
1: I think that's a really smart strategy to not bite off too much. And and that's what I hear as well from candidates that say, you know, it's sort of, you know, sounds a little funny, but, you know, prosthetics has a sort of defined scope of what you'd need to know. You you need to replace a missing limb and whether it's the upper extremity or lower extremity is sort of defined. Whereas orthotics is this sort of broad range of diagnoses, age groups, even throw in another practice area, part of the body, the spine, you know, compared to prosthetics. So it's for sure a little daunting to think about tackling what is every diagnosis I might See as an orthotist, you know, and so I definitely appreciate that. You mentioned practice tests, and and I I know that a lot of people try to do that too, especially for the multiple choice exam. But then it's probably a little harder to know how to prepare for the simulation and the CPM exams because there's not so much practice tests available for those. Obviously, you know, one thing I will just mention, Emma, is that. ABC does have some exam prep resources that we have developed over time. And so I always encourage people to really go to the ABC website. Um, and this is not a not an ad here. I'm just telling you, there's great resources there, especially as you look kind of deeper down into each exam, the combined multiple choice exam or the orthotic simulation exam. There are specific resources kind of designated for each of those exams that really help. Here's one that I'd like to tell people that about that not a lot of people really know about because they don't go there and look. And there's a resource on our website that has the most common diagnoses that are represented on the combined discipline exam. And when I say diagnoses, I mean orthotic diagnoses because prosthetic diagnoses are fairly straightforward in that they're an amputation, but. I mean, there's more than that, obviously, Emma, but you you get my point that the orthotics is a little more daunting. So ABC has provided a little bit of a resource. It doesn't tell you what questions are on the exam, obviously, but it will give you a sense of, oh, those are the diagnoses I need to become familiar with. We actually do it even in ranked order, which means if you start at the top, that's going to be the, the most questions you'll see and it goes down. To me, I think it's helpful for folks because they really don't know how to manage the whole pile. Like you said, standing at the bottom of that mountain, do I climb this whole thing all at once, or do I just take a few steps forward? So, I like your approach.
0: No, and that's really helpful information about the the diagnosis list and that they're in ranked order. Because I remember there's about 150 or 200 diagnoses that we went over in school and. Being able to focus on 15, instead of spending equal effort on all of them, is just a much better use of my time for studying. We'd like to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Vodabok.
1: Grow into the cranial orthoses market with Microband. The innovative, customized, low-profile design makes the Microband a unique alternative to dated foam helmets. Each band is uniquely designed using an objective 3D model of a child's exact cranial structure and state-of-the-art 3D printing technology. With precise scanning and fitting procedures, your patient's band is perfectly configured with no time wasted for foam modifications. Be the best treatment provider with the smartest cranial remolding orthosis on the market. If I could, I'll point out a couple other exam prep resources that I think are you know helpful to folks, especially when they think there's a big mystery about approaching one of the exams and they're not sure what to do. We publish what we call the test content outline for each of our exams. And so what that does, and they're different for each exam. That's why I'm glad we started with describing that there are three really different types of exams because each of the test content outlines are unique to each exam. And so you you can look up the combined written multiple choice exam, and it's going to show you by domain, the ones I talked about earlier, patient evaluation, formulation of the treatment plan, et cetera, how much of the exam content is in each of those domains. Um, That really comes, you may know, from the practice analysis that ABC does every five to seven years, and there's a big report that we publish and that's available, but if you're a prosthetic resident, working hard, finished your orthotic residency, and you're getting ready to take some exams reading that practice analysis report may not be the easiest thing to do unless you have a hard time sleeping at night, and then it might be good, just kidding. Uh, But I would really recommend that people look at those test content outlines because they really dive down a little bit more, like what areas do I have to be more aware of? What other example I'll tell you is the orthotic CPM exam test content outline that is actually broke down by what we call practice areas, not by those domains. So if you went on the website and you found the orthotic CPM test content outline, you'd see that there are three different sections that you're gonna run into. An AFO management section, a lower extremity management section, and a spinal orthotic management. And then there's a percentage exactly of how much of the exam is made up for each of those practice areas. They're pretty similar, but it gives you a sense of what you're going to run into. And then there's a little description of what you're going to do and sort of what you're going to be assessed on. I think that's really helpful to take away the mystery a little bit to go, oh, well, there tells me sort of what I'm going to be having to do. If you are a smart candidate, you're going to read that in advance of taking your exam, so that you have time to really focus on things that you see on those lists that say, I haven't done a lot of those. I haven't really had a lot of exposure to that area. So I need to take some actions to do that. A a common one we talk about, Emma, that may resonate to you as well is in the spinal area. You're going to have to do some scoliosis things. You're going to be assessed on your knowledge of scoliosis and you're going to do some tasks. If you just go to that resource on the website and see that, and you have not had a lot of experience in scoliosis, that should be your cue to go and get some help. You know, there are mentors and colleagues that could really help you. Say, hey, can I spend a couple hours with you going over some things? We think that's very valuable.
0: Yeah, it ends up being kind of a roadmap for the test itself, but a roadmap on how to study also.
1: I think that's exactly right. As you can imagine, you know, we don't really publish the questions. That's not what we do. So we're not going to tell people what exactly all the questions are that they're going to find. But we try to provide these resources so that they really know the content areas that they need to be familiar with. Because we don't want anyone to be surprised when they show up at an exam. And we find that the majority Emma people are prepared. And they really they have gone through two at least two years of school, O and P school. They have done a whole year long residency typically or done a combined 18 month residency. They have a lot behind them that have prepared them to be there at that exam. And so We try to encourage them because mostly we see that that's correct and they do pretty well.
0: That's great to hear.
1: So I think that, you know, using those resources to prepare for what you're going to be asked to either know or do is really critical. You can't know everything like we said earlier. And again, I'm going to say a term that sometimes people don't like to use because it sounds sort of negative, but it really isn't. What ABC is testing is the minimal entry level competency. We're not expecting every candidate who takes our orthotic exam, for example, to know every possible orthosis that could be provided or every diagnosis like like a master. That's not what the exam's designed to do. It's designed to say, is this person ready to practice independently? Do they possess the minimal amount of competency so they're not gonna harm a patient? And That's really what our mission is, is to sort of vet the people coming into the profession so that they can be safe to provide care independently. You probably already have a sense, Emma, of what it means to be a resident that works under a lot of structure and supervision, and you have people to to help you. It'll be a different animal when it's all you to make the decisions.
0: Yep. When people don't co-sign my notes anymore, and it's my name on the line, (laughs)
1: It's a good way of putting it. I, and we want people to feel confident that they are able to provide that. The exams, the ABC exams feel like a lot to go through, feel like, you know, a lot to have to get through, but I think that they are designed purposely. There's been a lot of effort over a lot of years to make sure that they are really testing what we think they are and are assessing people's knowledge and skills. And I can tell you firsthand from all of my years experience working with ABC and different volunteers who have helped with this process. The goal is always that we want people to be successful. It is not that we're trying to hold people back at all. And I think you'll experience it soon sometime, maybe Emma, when you come to the practical exam in Tampa and take your orthotics exam, you will see that everyone there who are administering that exam is really there to help you and to make it as stress-free as possible. And I think That's one bit of advice I would give to anyone who is in in the situation of getting ready to take these exams. You really shouldn't let the stress of it be overwhelming. You need to trust that your experience will provide you what you need. I think that's what people who just let the nerves get them is the ones who struggle with the exam.
0: Do you have any advice for people who feel less confident about their experience from school or residencies and especially since some of the recent cohorts have been affected by COVID, either as students or residents, and what they could do to help bolster themselves for the tests.
1: You know, you bring up a really great point, Emma, because we're really looking at the topic of did COVID impact people's finishing their education or getting through their education and doing their residency. And, you know, we don't know this as a fact yet, but we are studying it, I can tell you. And- my gut feeling is, is yes, it did impact people a little bit. I think you probably have talked to uh, your colleagues or, you know, your friends that went through school recently. There had to be a lot of uh, adaption uh, in school that, you you know, they just couldn't do it like they normally would during the 2020, 2021, you know, timeframe. And then, you know, we heard a lots of anecdotal stories about residency programs who really were struggling to even keep residents on because they were really trying to survive during that really height of things in the middle of 2020. But even just the change of the way patients were seen and access to the hospitals and long-term care facilities, you know, all of that really did impact what I was talking about earlier, and that is the number of exposures a resident would get. So I think I would go back to what I said a little earlier, and that is You have to be your own advocate and look at all the materials available of what you're going to need to know to successfully get through those exams. And if you think that you see holes, you know, the scoliosis example isn't as an easy one, but you really have to take steps yourself to assure that you get that information one way or the other. Hopefully it is your residency director or mentor who are willing to assist even if they can't provide that experience or that exposure at that site, are they willing to give you some days to go visit other sites that are in the basic geographic area that you live in? Um, I know that happens. Some of the bigger companies that have multiple offices, they really have, I think, adopted a more, not true rotation system, but more of a system of where The resident really gets to travel a little bit around and be with different mentors, be with different patient populations, et cetera. That's really critical, I think. I think it's really a good idea because I think it prepares the candidate to be successful because they got that exposure in different places. As much as you can have a great residency, 12 months, all at one place under the same residency director and mentor, let's say, that can be really positive but you are really seeing it from one perspective, from that practice's perspective and those mentors. And so you probably understand what I'm saying. The the diversity of seeing things from different practitioners' perspectives adds to your, your knowledge.
0: I did my orthotics residency at UCSF, and they are set up as a rotation residency. And it's really interesting to learn from so many different mentors and at so many different sites that you just... Add a lot of different ideas and perspectives to your toolbox that you come across a problem patient and they remind you of these other patients. And these are the 18 things that all the different mentors would do. And it's a really interesting field of creative problem solving where I feel like there's never quite one right answer, but the more you can get exposed to, the more you have to choose from.
1: It's so exciting to hear from someone so new into our profession that you already recognize that orthotics and prosthetics is an interesting collection of people who always want to solve the problem. It's like, wait a minute, we have a problem here. How do we solve this? And they get very creative. I completely agree with you. You know, I don't want to run out of time, Emma, but I have one other thing that that is going to sound really simple, but it's something that I do tell candidates when I talk to them about. You know, if I'm struggling with the exam maybe I didn't pass it the first time. I can't stress this enough. And it's true outside of o p It's true whenever you're taking a test, I think, to some degree. People get in trouble when they second-guess themselves. And often when they read a question or, or ask a question orally, they have an immediate impression of what they think is the answer to that. And then they start second-guessing themselves. I've witnessed this over many years, and I think that it is really good advice to trust yourself. And I go back to what I said earlier. If you really have completed a two-year master's degree in orthotics and prosthetics, and you've completed and co-credited residency in whatever discipline, you are prepared. And yet it could have been not the best, or it could have been fabulous or somewhere in between, but you have had all that work behind you to prepare you. And so trust your instincts, so to speak. And I think that especially at the CPM exams, when we see candidates who really start second-guessing themselves and, and changing their answers, if you will, more common than not, that's a negative, not a positive, if you know what I'm saying. You
0: know, I've noticed that when I take my practice test too, that I have crossed out an answer and rewritten it. And when I go to check my answers, the first one was the right one. And then once I start doing that, I feel you kind of get that momentum built where you start second guessing every question. And if you could just kind of take a breath and like you said, just trust your residency, trust your schooling and trust your experience. I think that's great advice. I think it'll really take the test takers a long way.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: Well, I think this seems like a good place to start wrapping it up. Thanks again for joining us, Steve. And thank you for everyone listening to this episode of O&P Rising. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned O&P professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting out on the right foot when it comes to a career in O&P. We would like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Autobach. To learn more, visit shop.autobach.us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for O&P professionals, the award-winning O&P Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and O&P Clinical Insiders with Academy Scientific Society's Chair, Seth O'Brien, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.